For the most part, preachers like me um, work really hard to prepare our sermons. I'm not one of those guys that just gets up and talks. I can't do, do that. I don't have that kind of confidence nor that kind of ability. But preachers like me, we, we really do take a lot of care with our sermons. We put a lot of hours of study and prayer into every message, and we write and we rewrite to make sure that the message and the sermon is just as clear and effective as possible. And I realize in spite of my best efforts, in spite of our best efforts, I know many of you have your mind somewhere else when, we, when I preach. I, I know that, because I, I, I've sat where you are. I know some of you preachers who've done that before. I see Mr. Horton going like this, like he realizes. When we preach, we realize, guys, that you're your minds are somewhere else. Like right now, there's somebody in this room, and I'm my mouth, you, you hear what I'm saying, but your thoughts, your mind, you're like, who is that chick on the other side of the room? And I wonder if she's in a relationship. I, I know that. I know that's where your mind is. There's somebody else in this room, and you're wishing I would just be quiet because you got, you're hungry, and you can't wait to get to lunch when the service is. I know that. And there's somebody else in this room, you've got a work assignment that's due this week, and, and that's all you can think about. I, I could be up here preaching about anything, but all you can think about is this assignment that's coming due this week. I, I realize that when, I, when I'm preaching to you that your mind is elsewhere, many of you, not all of you, but many of you, your mind is completely elsewhere, and, and honestly, I'd probably take that personally, except that it happened to Jesus too. Same thing, absolutely. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Jesus is preaching one of his most important sermons ever. I mean, he has just taught, been talking about the sin, the unpardonable sin, blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, when suddenly he's interrupted. I wish the guy when he inter interrupted had asked Jesus to explain exactly what blaspheming the Holy Spirit is, because I get asked that question a lot, and I have no clue. And maybe if Jesus had dropped an explanation there, I'd have an answer for people, but no, this guy wanted to know some, about something else that was going on in his life. Instead of asking a question about the sermon, this guy interrupts Jesus in the middle of this really important message and says, hey Jesus, help me divide up an inheritance between me and my brother." This guy's mind was on money, on worldly stuff, when Jesus is preaching on kingdom stuff. So I, I don't get offended when some of your minds drift off. I know that that's a tendency, and even Jesus struggled with that too. Now the question the guy asked had nothing at all to do with what Jesus was preaching about. But Jesus turned his question into a teaching moment for the rest of us. Jesus used a parable about a hard-working farmer to teach us about the folly of becoming preoccupied with this world and its stuff. It's a parable that teaches us that we can either serve greed or we can serve God, but we can't serve both. We can either worship our stuff or we can worship our God, but we can't worship both. This parable tells us that the person who lives to make himself rich with this world's stuff is a fool. But the person who uses his wealth to become rich toward God, that man is prudent and he's wise. So let's read this parable together. Let's get into it. You guys follow along. Uh, there's so much to this parable. You better hope I don't drift off into rabbit trails. Because, man, there's a lot to say here. I can't think of a more necessary message to the American church today than this one. Don't fall in love with this world. This world and all it has is passing away. It's temporary. You fall in love with Jesus and you invest everything you've got into building your relationship with Him. Amen? Amen. Alright, so let's read this parable. Someone in the, in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Tell my brother to divide 
the inheritance with me. Now this guy, just a little commentary here. This guy was probably a younger brother in the family. The older brother would get a double, in, a double portion of the inheritance. And the brother was saying, look, I don't want that to happen. I want a fair split down the middle, me and him. Where was this guy's heart and mind? On stuff, right? Right, on worldly things. Jesus replied. Now listen to the way Jesus replied to him. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Now it was pretty, it wasn't unheard of for a person to come to a rabbi, a teaching rabbi like Jesus, and ask him to, to uh, settle a, a disputed matter. That wasn't un, 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 uh, uncommon. But there were courts to take care of those kinds of things. And what Jesus is trying to tell him is, look man, I am talking about kingdom stuff here. Spiritual stuff. Eternal stuff. And here you want to interrupt me and get, get me to decide a matter that there are courts to decide. Matters that really don't matter in the grand scheme of things. He's saying, look man, you're willing to throw your relationship with your brother under the truck, under the bus, for stuff, and I'm telling you there's more important things on your plate than that. Get back to the parable. Jesus replied, man, I love, man, you can just almost hear it. Man, what's wrong with you? Man, who appointed me a judge and arbiter between you? Then Jesus said to them, watch out. Say those two words with me. Think you serious? Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. Say those two words with me. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Lord, I love you so much, and I thank you for this word, and I thank you for its clarity. And I pray today as we spend time in your word, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us. That with your help, we would examine our hearts, Lord. Help us to examine our hearts, our minds, our passions, our pursuits. And help us to see what we think is most important to us. You or the things of this world. Help us, give us a discerning spirit this morning. And help us to see the truth. Help us to see the truth in ourselves. And help us, Lord, to take this truth that you speak to us this morning and apply it to our hearts that we might be free of the love of this world. God, that we might be set free to love you for all your worth. We give you praise and glory. We thank you for the spirit that's in this room the way it convicts us and convinces us of truth. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, here we go. Now before we get into the parable, I want to throw out a couple of biblical disclaimers about money. I think we have some corrupted, misdirected ideas about money, so I want to kind of straighten some things out before we get into the parable. Money in and of itself is not immoral. Money in and of itself is not evil. Money is just money. There's nothing evil or immoral about money. It's the love of money in the human heart that can lead to sin and immorality and evil and wickedness. It's the love of, uh, love of money in our hearts. Money itself has no moral feelings at all. It's about us and what's going on in our hearts. And, and this is made clear in 1 Timothy 6.9 when it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So, being rich isn't sinful. Okay? Being rich isn't... Being Christian isn't necessarily godly. Being rich isn't sinful. Okay? 
As a matter of fact, many of the Bible's most important characters were rich. Job was a wealthy man. Uh, Abraham was a wealthy man. Joseph, King David, these were all wealthy men. It's not, it's not being rich that's sinful. It's the way we see our riches and use our riches that really matters in the grand scheme of things. And we see this in 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19 where Paul is teaching Timothy to tell uh, people in his church this. He said, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them, the rich, to use their money to do good. Okay? So it's okay to be rich. It, it's even a good thing to be rich if you keep money in its proper perspective. As long as you keep God your primary focus. As long as you use that money to do good, to be generous, to help, and bless others. So, so when we get into this parable, this, this money isn't the problem that Jesus is addressing in this parable. Being rich isn't the issue. It's not the issue here. This parable is about the problem of greed. Greed. So what is greed? Simply put, greed is a strong and selfish desire for more. Greed is a strong and selfish desire for more. Usually more money. Why? Because more money gets us more stuff. More money gets us more power. More money gets us more influence. More money gets us more popularity, or at least that's the way we think. So, it's about getting more. More. Let me ask you a question. Some of you have had some pretty good paychecks back in the day. Think about your biggest paycheck. Did it really satisfy the deepest desires of your heart? No. No. Because you always want one dollar more, right? <laughs> but I just had one more dollar. But I just had one more. And you get that one more, and then what happens? If I just had one more, that's greed. That's greed. This parable. What Jesus does in teaching us this parable is it confirms a choice that each of us has to make in our life. It confirms a choice that we all have to make in this life. We all have a choice about how we're going to invest our lives. We all have a choice about how we're going to spend our time and our energy. We all have a choice about what we're going to prioritize and what we're going to value above all else in this life. And the choice boils down to this. Greed or God. The choice we all have to make in this life is greed. Am I going to try to satisfy that desire to get more? Or am I going to satisfy myself in God? Greed or God? Now, we can, we can either spend our lives, this is what this parable is about, we can either spend our lives trying to satisfy a desire for more of this world's stuff, or we can invest our lives in the things of God, but we can't do both. It's a choice. It's a choice. We can't do both. It's one or the other, greed or God. Now, some of you might be saying, because I got your attention now, you're telling me, you might be pushing back a little bit, and you might be saying to yourself, well, Mark, that's a little too simplistic. Mark, things aren't quite so black and white. It might be more accurate to say that you can both serve God and try to get rich. And I would say, I don't care what you might think, let's go back to the Word. Listen to what the Word has to say. Jesus says in Luke 16, 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now I want you to notice there, Jesus didn't say you should not serve both God and money. He said you cannot serve both God and money. 
And I'd like to also point you back to the first parable that we talked about several weeks ago. First parable in this series, the parable of the soils and the seed, where Jesus warns us again about the destructive effect of greed in our lives. That destructive desire to want more. He says in Matthew 13.22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word making it unfruitful. And right here again in this parable, in verse 15, Jesus warns us about falling in love with money and, and falling in love with the, with the things that we think money can buy when He says, watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So, so each of us, each of us faces a choice in life. I face the choice and you do too. Do I invest my life becoming rich with this world stuff or do I invest my life in becoming rich in my relationship with God? Greed or God? I can't do both. I can't do both. So in today's parable, Jesus gives us a case study about greed. And can I just tell you, most of the people that I know, most of the people I know would make a really good case study about greed, especially in this culture. But here we're given a case study about greed. And Jesus calls this honest, listen to carefully, he calls this, this guy doesn't do anything wrong. He doesn't break any laws, he does nothing unethical. He calls this honest, hard work. I can't imagine a man more hard working than a farmer. Dude, up early in the morning, go to sleep late at night, and in every waking hour, you're hard at work. This was a hard working dude. He was honest, never did an unethical thing. He was hard working, spent every waking hour producing, and he was successful. In the eyes of everybody, this dude was a success. If this guy were alive today, we'd be calling him a role model. We would be calling him a man that we need to emulate. We'd be putting him on the covers of our magazines. We'd be interviewing him on our TV shows. We'd be begging him to tell us the secrets of his success. But Jesus looks at this honest, hardworking, successful, rich man, and he calls him a fool. You think about that for just a minute. Why? Why? You see, back in the day, they struggled with this idea that if you were a good person, a spiritual person, a man who was obeying God, you would be rich too. We have that name it, claim it kind of theology out there right now, right here. It's always been there. Just like we struggle with it today, thinking that if I live my best life now, then I'm guaranteed riches and wealth. They struggle with that too. But Jesus is looking at this guy who was living his best life now, making lots of money. He looked at him and said, you're a fool. I, I want to know why Jesus called this man a fool. I hope you do too. Here you go. You ready? He was a fool because he gave no credit to God. He was a fool because he gave no credit to God. Verse 16 said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. I want you to notice that Jesus didn't say a certain man worked very hard and accumulated a great fortune. No, he said the ground of the certain rich man yielded. You see, here, here's what Jesus was pointing out. He said, yes, the man might have worked hard to till the soil and plant the seed. And yes, the man might even have fertilized and weeded the soil so the seed could grow and the crop produce and, and produce a harvest. But what Jesus is saying here, if God had not blessed the man with the fertile ground, he would have had nowhere to place that seed. 
And if God had not given the man the health to till the soil and plant the seed, the man couldn't have done the work required. And if God had not given him the ability and the knowledge, he wouldn't have known how to be a good farmer. And if God had not sent the rain to water the seed or caused the, man, the, the sun to give life to those plants, the farmer wouldn't have had any crops at all. You see, when the man looked at his crop, at that amazing harvest, he didn't see the hand of God in it at all. It was all about what he had done. All he saw, all this man saw was his own effort. But what Jesus is pointing out here is apart from the blessing of God, there would have been no crop, there would have been no harvest, there would have been no success. This man was a fool because he didn't give credit to God. Deuteronomy chapter 8 tells, tells us to remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you the power to be successful. God deserves the credit for any success you or I might have in this life. Jesus goes on to say that he was a fool because he left God out of his plans. He was a fool because he left God out of his plans. In verse 17 he says, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, might I add to himself, here's what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store my surplus grain. I want you to notice here that the man never has a conversation with God about what he should do. He only talks to himself to come up with his plan. Proverbs chapter 16 says we can make our own plans but God gives us the right answers. Only a fool leaves God out of the planning process. I would venture to say, not, okay, I'm about to step on toes. I would venture to say that most of you hope to soon have a pay raise. Come on. Uh, come on, who wants a pay raise in the house? Good for you. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you already know what you're going to do with that pay raise when you get it? And it has nothing to do with God because you haven't even included Him in the planning of it. Y'all hear me, don't you? You already know how you're going to spend that increase. And you haven't given God a moment's thought. You haven't asked his input. You've already spent it. I know you have because it's on a credit card. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. I'm kidding. So he was a fool. He was a fool because he didn't give credit to God. He was a fool because he left God out of the planning process. The third thing Jesus is pointing out to us here is that this man was a fool because he thought everything belonged to him and not God. He thought everything he had belonged to him and not God. Verse 18, he uh, says, then, then he said, the, the man said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. This man seemed to think that he owned everything he had. My crops, my barns, my surplus grain. I, I, I. But this man had confused ownership with stewardship. Psalm 24.1 reminds us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Look, we're just stewards. We own nothing. We own nothing. God is the true owner of everything. We only manage what He gives us. We're only managers of it. Everything we have. I want you to begin to think about your life this way because this is really a biblical way of looking at your life. Everything we have is simply on loan to us from God. It's a loan. How well are you doing with the loan? The loans that God's given you in this life. He was a fool because he thought everything belonged to him. He was also a fool because he looked to his stuff for security. 
He looked to his stuff for security. And here we go, America. This is where you're at. We've got... You know what the biggest, the, the fastest growing business in America is? These little storage unit places. They're just blowing up everywhere. For some reason, we have come to the conclusion that the more stuff I get, the more secure I am. Our houses are full, they're overflowing. Now we got storage units, they're overflowing. Some of us are, have multiple storage units of stuff, and it's like we don't even know what's in there anymore. But I can't let go of it because I might need it one day. There's some kind of false security in all this stuff. And this guy looked to his stuff for security, not God. Verse 19, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. You see, this guy thought if he put his plan into place and stored up all this stuff, he'd be set for years to come. No worries. His storehouses were full. He was flush with cash. His fortune was made. Nothing could touch him now. But let me ask you a question. I've lived long enough to see this for myself, to understand this truth. Is there anything in life that offers you less security than money and stuff? Anything? I know people who were multimillionaires and they lost everything overnight. You may know some of them too. Stock markets crash. Companies go bankrupt. Investments go bad. Barns burn down. I can't think of anything in this life that's more insecure than money and stuff. Here today, gone tomorrow. And that's why 2 Timothy 6.17, Paul says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. We need to learn to look to God for our security, not our money, not our stuff. Because guess what? All that money in your pocket can be gone like that. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. He was also a fool because he never saw himself as accountable to God. He never saw himself as accountable to God. Remember the loan scenario I brought up just a minute ago? That loan comes due at some point. That loan from God comes due at some point. We're all accountable to God. Verse 20 says, but God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you, and then who's going to get what you've prepared for yourself? You see, the Greek verb translated demanded is a Greek word, apoteo, and it's literally a banker's term. It's a banker's term. It's a commercial term, and it means to demand back or require back, like a bank sometimes demands a loan be repaid. There is an accounting for what the Lord has loaned to us over our lifetimes. It can, this, 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 demand, this word demand conveys the idea of life having been placed or given to us as a loan that has to be repaid when God demands it to be repaid. It's really important we learn to see ourselves not as owners, but as stewards. Because one day, each of us as believers, this, this is serious stuff, and Jesus is trying to drive this point home to the crowd in His day and to us in this room this morning. One day, each of us as believers will face the Lord and we're going to have to give Him an accounting. Not for our sins. Praise the Lord, Christ Jesus took care of our sins on the cross. When He died, He erased that debt that we owed to God so we don't have to worry about our sins anymore. Christ paid for that, but one day we have to give the Lord an accounting for the way we spent the life He gave to us. We have to give an account for the words that we said, the things that we've done, the way we spent the money that He loaned to us. Romans 14.12 says, yes, each of us will have to give a... What's that word right there? Personal. I won't be answering for you. You won't be answering for me. I'll be answering for myself, and you will too. Each of us will have to give a personal account to God. So, it's gonna, I don't know how exactly it's going to work. I don't know what questions we're going to be asked. 
I don't know if there's going to be some kind of video screen up there where we watch all that. I don't know. But I do know this, that we're going to have to answer questions, and we need to start answering questions now that, are, that sound something like this. Did I use my life, the life He loaned me, to bring Him glory, or was I trying to bring myself glory? Did I use the time He gave me to serve Him and His people, or did I use it to serve myself? Did I use the influence He gave me to point people to Christ, or simply draw attention to myself? Did I use the money He gave me to build His kingdom, or to expand my own? Those are the kinds of things I need to be thinking through now as I make decisions about how I'm going to use the wealth, the riches, the material stuff that He's given me. So, for all intents and purposes, for all intents and purposes, this honest, hardworking, successful, rich man was a practicing atheist. I doubt he would make that admission with his own lips. The man might have claimed to believe in God. But his actions and his words denied it. Y'all following me here? For all intents and... I would say for all intents and purposes, many people sitting in church today on Sunday mornings around the world are for all intents and purposes of practicing atheists. What a man's harsh, Mark. No. I'm holding a mirror up. I've been guilty of this myself. This man was a practicing atheist. He gave no credit to God for his success. Took all the credit for himself. He left God out of his plans altogether. He made his own plans. He thought everything belonged to him. He didn't see anything as having belonged to God. He looked to his stuff for security. He didn't look to, to God for security. It was all about his stuff. And he never saw himself as accountable to God. So for all intents and purposes, this honest, hardworking, successful man was really just a practicing atheist. You know what? That's what greed does to us. And this is the point of the parable. This is exactly what greed does to us. This desire to always want more. This is what greed does. Greed squeezes God out of the picture. It's like a python that wraps its... Did you hear about the lady that, that died yesterday? An eight-foot python. She had a, a house filled with 163 snakes. But they found her dead in her bed with an eight-foot python wrapped around her throat. I'm sure she died in her sleep, probably didn't even know what was happening. And I will tell you this, greed is killing more Christians today than any other sin. The python of greed has wrapped itself around your throat and it's choking you to death and many of you don't even realize it. It's like, it's like breathing in radon gas. You don't even know it's there, but it's poisoning you. You can't serve both greed and God. You cannot do it. Because greed squeezes God out of the picture. This strong and selfish desire for more of this world's stuff will choke out your love for God and His kingdom. It's greed or God. You can't serve both. It's greed or God. You can't worship both. What Jesus is saying in this little parable is really simple. Don't be greedy. You're a fool if you're greedy. He was telling that little man there that was all concerned about his inheritance, man, that stuff is meaningless in the grand scheme of things. You're a fool to concern yourself with that kind of stuff. Don't be a greedy fool. Remember, watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, Jesus says. Instead, Jesus says this. This is what you're supposed to focus on. This is what you're supposed to use your life to do. Your time, your energy, your treasure. Everything about you. Focus on this one thing. Be rich toward God. Be rich toward God. Don't be a greedy fool. Be rich toward God. What does that look like? What does that mean? I wish the dude had, had asked that follow-up question would have clarified it all for us. But I do want to take us back to that passage in 1 Timothy that we've already mentioned a couple of times because I think it's really instructive. What does it look like to be rich toward God? How can we be rich toward God? How can we avoid greed and instead invest our lives in something that really matters? So let's go back to that passage of Scripture real quickly. Real quickly, and we're done. 
We're going to have communion. We're going to spend some time in worship. Y'all with me? 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. Let me read it again. Let me break it down. I'm going to give you a three-step action plan. The passage says this, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Here's how you're rich toward God. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell the rich to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. All right, three-step action plan in order to be rich with God. And I hope you go home and think this through. How can I apply this to my life? How can I begin to use what God has loaned to me in this way so I might be rich toward God? Because I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to be a foolish, greedy person. Here you go, number one. Build your relationship with God. Don't worry about building your wealth. I guarantee you, if you build your relationship with God, God will take care of your wealth for you. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. Spend your time and energy building your relationship. Here's the, here's the deal. And I'm gonna, let's, let's just be honest, okay? I mean, I've struggled with all this stuff too. Sometimes still struggle with it. If you have to make a choice between getting a pay raise and being pulled away from fellowship with other believers or staying at the same pay grade but still able to invest yourself in the fellowship of other believers, which do you choose? Most of us probably would choose the pay raise. And we would justify it by saying, well, if I get paid more, I'll give God more. <laughs> Am I making sense here? You see the tug? You see the pull? God's saying, when you're offered more money or more of me, always choose more of me. I'll take care of the money. Personal story, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but when we first got into ministry, Back in 1987, Lorna and I were doing pretty well. We just bought our first house. We, um, she was teaching in the public school system. I was managing a public transit program in southeast Alabama. We were doing pretty good. We were uh, expecting our first child. We, had, we were living the American dream. We were headed in that direction. And then the Lord called us to full-time ministry. And I thought to myself, uh-oh. I'll be walking away from this new home. We're going to be walking into a set of circumstances. I, I don't even know what lies ahead of us. And I remember praying a prayer, God, I'm not going to worry about money. I'm going to do my best not to ever worry about money. You'll have to take care of that. I just want to serve you. We took a 50% pay cut that first year. And God has taken care of us every step of the way. Did it always feel good? No. <laughs> There were, there were moments when I used to sit across the dinner table from Lorna at night eating supper, and I'd be looking at her and thinking about her in these terms. This is awful, I'm going to tell you. I would be thinking about her in this way. Man, alive, there's a $40,000 salary sitting across the table from me. I wish I could put her back to work again. Because money was, you know, come on, just, just saying. But we had committed ourselves to what God had called us to. And I would have to remind myself again and again, I'm not going to worry about the money. God's got to take care of that part of it. I'm going to worry about the work he's given me to do. These are choices that you have to make in your own way. You'll come to crossroads in your life where you have to decide, am I going to value God more in this moment or money more in this moment? If you, if you value your money more than you value God, you're a fool. You're a fool. Because that money is it's going to let you down. It's going to let you down. That's the deceitfulness of wealth. That's what Jesus was talking about, the deceitfulness of riches. You think the money's going to provide your security. You're fooling yourself. Because the same boss that hired you today and bumped your pays up is, a, is the same boss that can look at you and say, you're out of here. Done. But God will never leave you nor forsake you. And has promised to take care of you every step of the way. Don't put your trust in the uncertainty of riches. 
You put your hope in God. You throw yourself in God's direction every time you're given a choice. Every time you're given a choice. More God, more money. More God, please. More God, please. Build your relationship with God, not wealth. Second, give thanks to God for your blessings. One of the things that I do when I start counseling with people, almost every in every case I can think of over the last several years, is I will give them an assignment every night. I don't care how, what's going on in their life, but every night I ask them to make out a gratitude list and then send it to me or send it or share it with somebody that they know. Our, our tendency is to forget about how good God has been to us. And, and what that does is Satan uses that to make us want more of something else. More drugs, more men, more women, more whatever. But if you will fix your heart on the goodness and the glory of God, that's, that's satisfying. That, that reaches down to the deepest parts of your soul and, and your restlessness comes to, comes to an end. And His peace floods your soul. And that's what I, I believe if we're going to be rich toward God, we've got to learn to be grateful to God always. That's the secret to Paul's contentment. Whether he was rich or poor, whether he was well-fed or starving, he had found the secret to contentment, and it was to know Christ. It was to know Christ. Give thanks to the Lord for your blessings. Acknowledge His kindness to you every day. Give Him credit for any success you might enjoy. Don't take credit for yourself, because really, you would have screwed it up if it had not been for Him. Come on, let's get honest. The third thing is, if you want to be rich toward God, you build your relationship with Him. You prioritize that over money. You make sure you, you, you stay grateful. You stay grateful to God for all of the things that you enjoy. And the third thing is this. Use your money to do good. Use the money He loans you to do good. Start with the money you have right now. Some of us are waiting for our ship to come in before we start doing something good with our money. Come on, man. If God can't trust you with what you got now, why should He trust you by giving you more? Let, let's just be honest. Use your money to do good. Genuine, generously use it to help other people. God has blessed... Listen, I, I know, again, we get this in our minds. I, I see the car tags. I got behind a car the other day and just as sure as I say this, somebody's going to know this person. But we got behind a car. Uh, it's been a couple years ago now. And it, it was a nice, big, you know, big old SUV. Big, huge SUV. Big old black thing. And the tag said, T-T-H-E-R. T-T-H-E-R. And we were kind of going, what does that mean? T-T-H-E-R. T-T-H. What do you think it means? Tither. Tither. I don't know this person. I just saw the car. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm making a judgment that's probably unfair. But I, I could not help but think to myself, this guy... Whoever it was driving, don't know him. I hope you don't know him. If you do, apologize to them on my behalf. I'd love to sit down and talk to them. I can only think that this dude was giving to God, thinking that God would give back to him. And this is, this is his trophy, his SUV. I heard a guy on a radio station years ago. I, I'm rambling now. I know it. Y'all hang on. It was, it, was, it was on WDJC, 93.7. And it was a prayer call-in thing. <laughs> Duh. I'm sorry. Sorry. Uh, they were asking people what, what, what they wanted God to do for them. And this guy called in and he said, I'd like to have a newer vehicle. And they said, well, that's, that's great. What do you need the newer vehicle for? And he said, well, if God gave me this new vehicle, 
I would drive it around to pick up older people and get them to church. Man, it sounded so good. And that's the way the, the, the announcers responded. They, that's awesome. So you want God to bless you with a new vehicle so you can drive around and pick up little old people and take them to church? Yeah, that's what I want. What kind of car do you want? I want a Jaguar. that for just a minute. A Jaguar. I mean, you know, I could understand a, a van, minivan, where, you, where it's not hard to get in and out, but a Jaguar. Yeah. Can you just see those little old people trying to get out? Come on. Enough, enough, enough of this justification, rationalization. I want God to bless me so I can be blessed. God doesn't bless us just to bless us. He blesses us so that we might be a blessing. You get that? Let's, 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 let's get out of this. I give to get. I get, no, 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 no. I give because I get a chance to be a blessing to somebody and bring glory to God in it. Come on, come on, come on. Use your money to do good. Use your money to bless others. Use your money to expand the influence of the kingdom. Use your money in a way that honors God and doesn't make a mockery of His blessing. Be rich toward God. Don't be a greedy fool. Be rich toward God. He has been so generous to us. Uh, Micah, if you and Chris would come back. We're going to spend some time in worship. Uh, I, you know, I hope that you will take Take seriously this message because it may be the most important message some of you have heard to this point in your Christian wall. Each of us faces this choice, especially here in America. See, in India where I grew up, they don't have choice. I mean, poor people can be greedy too. Rich people can be unselfish. Poor people can be really selfish. I know, you know, it's not about what you got in your pocket right now. It's about the attitude of your heart. But... I just got to tell you this, in, uh, growing up in India, we realized that following Christ usually meant great sacrifice. That when there was a famine in the land, you were always put at the back of the line in order to get the rice that you needed to eat. Uh, when they found out you were a Christian family, sometimes the storekeepers would lock their, their, their stores so that Christians couldn't get in. Those were the kinds of sacrifices that followers of Christ had to deal with there. So we realized putting God first, following Jesus Christ, often meant suffering and sacrifice. Well, here in America, we don't struggle with that. We've kind of, the devil's using a different strategy on us. In India, he tries to keep people out of the church by causing them to suffer. And by the way, he's failing miserably. Right now, there's a revival going on in India like nobody's ever seen. Here in America, it's something else. He uses a different strategy. You could call it the strategy of affluenza. Affluenza, making us so wealthy, we don't think we even need God anymore. Or we just add a dab of God to our life in the hopes that you know, we're better people for it. But we haven't made Him our life. We haven't made, made Him our sole pursuit. We haven't made Him our focus. We're, we're chasing money. We're chasing stuff. Can I tell you something? Most of us, some of us in this room have been there. You've had a lot of stuff, but you were never satisfied, were you? It wasn't until you lost all your stuff that you found out God was what I really needed. And sometimes you don't know that God is really all you need until He's all you got. And that's a place we need to stay no matter how we might be blessed, no matter how many pay raises we get, or how we climb the corporate ladder, we better remember, that's nothing. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. That's what this parable is about. You can either be a greedy fool, or you can be rich toward God, but you can't do both. You, you just can't. And that's what we need to do as we approach this table this morning.
We need to let the Holy Spirit search our hearts. Who is my, what is my desire in life? What am I chasing after? What, what do I prioritize the most? Who do I value most? The things of this world? Or Jesus Christ who gave Himself for me? He became poor, the Bible tells us, so that we might become rich. And some of y'all immediately went to money. It has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with identity and purpose and peace and joy and hope. He became poor so that we might become rich. He wants to fill us with Himself. But we can't be filled with Him until we have emptied ourselves of all this selfishness, this greed. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. Lord, I love You so much. Thank You so much for Your Spirit that's so present in this room. I thank You so much for these eager and hungry hearts. You said that if we would hunger and thirst after Your righteousness, that we would be filled. And I believe... For most of us in this room, that is our desire. We hunger and thirst for Your righteousness. We want more of You. We will not be satisfied until You pour Yourself in us. Until we are saturated in You. Lord, we desire You above everything else. You said You'd fill us. And that's what we ask You to do. And You will, because You always keep Your Word. Fill us till we overflow. Empty us of anything else. Everything else but You. Fill us till we overflow. Guard our hearts against greed. Guard our hearts against this strong and selfish desire for more. Because we know the things of this world can never satisfy. Instead, Lord, we ask for more of You. More and more of You. More and more of of you. Help us to stay single-minded in our purpose to know you and to make you known, to glorify you with the things you bless us with. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're just going to worship the Lord for a few minutes. The altars are open if you want to come and respond to the Lord. Maybe, maybe, you've begun, maybe you realize today that you've been, your heart's been leaning a little too much to the greed side. And the python has been wrapping itself around your heart, choking the life of Christ out of you. Maybe it's time to renounce that, repent of it, turn to Christ in faith. For whatever reason, these altars are open. We're just going to worship the Lord for a few minutes. And then we're going to share communion together. And I just believe God is just going to pour His love out upon us this morning. In Jesus' name, let it be so, Lord. Let's worship.